Morning, everybody, again. What fantastic news that we are getting the parking lot back. We, for two years, so if you were brand new or relatively new, you know nothing about this, but for two years, we have been wandering in the desert. And finally, now the parking lot has come back. When this announcement was made about two years ago that they were going to tear up the whole parking lot and we were going to lose it and have to park over there where parking is really limited and walk a long way, I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. But finally, we've made it. Now, it is supposed to open, as Brian said, next week, but it is construction. So just in case, bear with us. But the probability is that it will open and I am thrilled about that. And I'm also thrilled about talking about heaven. It's really important. So part two today is what we're focused on. If you haven't seen last week, it kind of was the setup. Every one of these messages tie into each other. I want to start with a story. Florence Chadwick in 1952, she had already swum, swam, swam, swam. She had already swam the English Channel before. She's standing on the shores of Catalina Island off of the coast of California. Again, it is 1952. She's getting ready to swim from Catalina Island to California. She takes off. She swims for 15 hours. She's totally exhausted. She wants to get back into the boat. She's like, I can't make it. Her mom says, no, you got to keep going. So she says, okay. So she keeps swimming and swimming. And finally, she says, I can't do it anymore. Get me in the boat. So they pull her into the boat. And the day had been filled with fog. And when she got into the boat and she could finally see when she was up above and she could see clearly, she realized she was less than a half a mile from her destination. And then she said this, she said this, if I could have only seen, I would have kept going. What is she saying? If I could have only seen clearly, I would have continued to have hope. What we see directly impacts our experience right here and now. So whatever we think about the future, about where we're going, totally affects our experience right here and now. What do you see about where you're going? Where are you headed? It's going to impact you and everybody around you. What is heaven to you? Where are you headed? Is there a heaven? Is there not a heaven? If there is a heaven, what is heaven like and where you're going? Our theme verse for this is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. So my question to you is, what is that reality? If heaven exists for you, what is the reality of heaven that you're looking towards? What is it like? Is there nothing there? Do you not believe in heaven? Like, it's just a big nothing. We've come from nothing, and we're headed towards nothing. And I'll talk more about this in just a minute. But it's very, very difficult to have hope when you believe that you are going nowhere. Do you believe that heaven is boring? Now, we spent a lot of time on that last week, and I'll talk a little bit about it in just a second. Do you believe that heaven is impersonal? That you're going to be a disembodied spirit without a personality, without a body, and you're not going to have memory of the past, and you're not going to recognize people from the past, but you're just a disembodied spirit, and you're floating around. So is heaven impersonal to you? Or is heaven a consolation? In other words, your life on this earth maybe wasn't what you had hoped it to be for most of us. I think for all of us, that's the case. Or for some of us, you know, my life was just really terrible. But at least I'm going to heaven. Is that your view of heaven? Because the view of heaven that you get in Scripture, it is not a consolation. Actually, with your life in heaven, here's what the reason to be so excited about Christianity and being a follower of Christ and what we're taught in the scriptures, 
about heaven is that heaven is actually everything we could have ever hoped for. Actually, it's this. It is the life we wished we had always lived. It's not a consolation. Your relationships will finally be the relationships you've always longed for. We know this is true because so many studies have been done on this. The quality of your life is directly impacted by the quality of your relationships. And don't we say this of ourselves often? Man, I did this wrong or my relationship acquired. Why do I do this? Or why did they say this? Or why is it? You're going to finally be the person you always knew you could be. And we're going to really get into that on September 8th. And therefore, heaven is going to be the life you wish you always had, the life you felt that you should have lived. That is what heaven will be. It's not a nothingness. It's not impersonal. It's not boring. And it's not a consolation because your life stunk here on earth. It is the life you always wanted to live and you will live. And that is what is being presented to us by God in scriptures about heaven. Salvation. Now, I've been saying this for years. And people say, you know, I'm just a little bothered, you know, when Christians say, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way. Because he says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, right? All of philosophy is about salvation. I've read just a fantastic book, and I'm going to recommend it. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to quote a lot of this book in just a moment. But Luc Ferre, he is a French philosophy professor, and he is an atheist. And I have gotten so much out of what he said. Actually, he has probably done a better job of helping me to understand this atheist about what Christ is offering us in heaven as our future hope more than any other person has ever helped me, more than any other Christian theologian. He has put it so incredibly well. And what he talks about in his book is what is being offered to us by Jesus Christ is entirely unique. So when someone says, well, how can you say that Jesus Christ is the only way towards this salvation? There is no other item on the menu being offered like it. He's like, what are you talking about? This salvation that Christ is talking about is entirely unique amongst all salvations, which every philosophy in his opinion is about salvation, that is being offered in the world from an atheist professor. That is why we can be so excited about our hope. And what I'm asking you today is to consider, to weigh all the options before you, to weigh them all out in a very respectful way. I hope to be extremely respectful as we talk about different viewpoints on life, on God, does God exist, does God not exist? What we can do is we can be very respectful about the viewpoints, but we can weigh them out. And one of the things I want to bring out today is you have to be very careful because today a lot of people are borrowing from other viewpoints and you don't really have a consistent thought pattern on what you believe about life and what you believe about death and what you believe about heaven. Well, we're going to get a whole lot more on that. So like Florence Chadwick, she said, if I could have only seen where I was going, I would have. I would have continued to have hope, basically. Do you have hope? Because we cannot live without hope. Do you see heaven? Is your reality of heaven is that it's just going to be boring? So when I'm going on a trip, and I said this last week, and I'm going to some fabulous place, I can't wait to get there. I wish the plane was leaving when? Today. But we don't say that about heaven. We say what Kenny Chesney says about heaven. 
Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go right now, right? That's what we say because we're, we're like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be that good. The idea is that it's boring. Isaac Asimov, which I quoted last week, and it's just what an incredible quote what he says. A very prolific writer, a uh, science fiction writer, wrote for Popular Mechanics. He says, the only thing he fears more than hell is the boredom of heaven. Quoted ACDC, Billy Joel, Mark Twain, and somebody sent me a great quote from Mark Twain actually this week, and I want to read it to you now. Mark Twain says, go to heaven for the climate, go to hell for the company. What, what is heaven to you? What is heaven to you? Is it, is it exciting? Is it magnificent? Because what's being presented to us in the scripture is a place that's not boring. It's a place that is real and a place that's magnificent. And on September 8th, we're going to talk about where it is. I don't know where heaven is right now, but we know exactly according to the scripture, and I'll share this on September 8th, where heaven will be. We're going to find heaven like a treasure map. Why are all these opinions about heaven? Well, last week, Revelation chapter 13, verse number 6, the book of the Bible that talks more about heaven than any other book in the Bible, a very important book to study. And it says in Revelation 13, 6, that the devil... Satan. And Luke Ferre, this atheist French philosopher, points out that the name devil actually means to separate. And what we see is he's trying to separate. There's an evil force at work in the world that's trying to separate us from reality and from what the truth is. And we're told in Revelation 13, 6, that the devil specifically slanders heaven. He slanders God's dwelling place. He tries to put us to sleep. He tries to distort. He tries to say it doesn't, he tries to say all these things. This is what the scripture is teaching us. And so I want to encourage you, don't go to sleep on something as exciting as heaven because what you believe about heaven and what Christ promises us directly impacts the way you're going to live today. It directly impacts your experience. What kind of hope are you hoping in? Do you have hope at all? We suffer. We suffer. So don't go to sleep on it. One of the books I've read to get ready for this series is by John Ortberg. It's a, fanta- it's a fantastic book. And he shares a story in there about a friend of his that was taking a flight over, I think it was to China. It was a very, very long flight. He's going to be on there many hours. And the moment he gets there, he was going to have to immediately get up and he's going to have to work all day long. So he had to sleep on this like 15-hour flight to wherever, wherever he was going. And he'd never taken Ambien before. So he decided, I've got to sleep. I don't sleep well on planes, so I'm going to take an Ambien. So he took an Ambien. And after five minutes, he's like, why isn't anything happening? He's not falling asleep. He's wide awake. So another 10 minutes, finally he says, that's it. I'm going to take a second one. So after about 10 minutes, he takes a second Ambien. Again, nothing. He waits 10, 15 minutes. There's nothing happening. He's like, what is the deal? This stuff doesn't work. Maybe I don't react well to it. So he takes a third Ambien and he washes it down with a glass of wine. When he woke up, he was in an airport in China sitting by the gate in a wheelchair all by himself with drool running down his shirt. They could not wake him up. They shook him and shook him and shook him, and he would not wake up, so they just picked him up, put him in a wheelchair, and wheeled him, and there he sits all by himself at this gate, not knowing what in the world took place to him. Now, that's scary. That's scary. Don't go to sleep on heaven. It's really important that we think about this because it directly impacts us so, so much. Last week we said there's, it's, heaven is described, right? The kingdom of God is described as a party, as a banquet where there's food, right? Jesus ate when he was resurrected. 
He was still a person. He had a physical body. They touched him. There's a, it's a place where we still learn, where we still discover, where we still grow personally. All of those things we covered last week, and today we want to specifically focus on this. It is a place of love. It is a place where we are going to continue to love and have love and be in relationships of love. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11 says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. So even though I will talk about secular humanism or atheism, okay, throughout this, and again, I hope to speak about this in an extremely uh, respectful way because I know we're an extremely diverse church and I just love that about us. We're very, very diverse. Secular humanism or atheism, right, even though we hear so much about it because it's, it's so prevalent on our institutions, right, our academic institutions, we hear a lot about it. Even though we hear a lot about it, almost every single person still believes in heaven and believes that they're headed there. Right? So that opinion is so big. So I had asked our middle school student pastor, Ben Darius, to go and do some street interviews because he's such a great, he's so extroverted. Right? And so he's great. And he talked to tons and tons of people. And he came to me last week after last week's services. You know what, John? 100% of the people that I was just talking to out on the streets of Washington, D.C., 100% they all believed in heaven. I couldn't find one person who did not believe in God or heaven. So I know we talk a lot about secular humanism, and I'm going to talk about it here and now. And the reason I'm going to talk some about it in this message is because it is the culture we're living in, because we are immersed in a culture, and we're all affected by a culture. And so even if we believe in heaven and we believe in God, we can be affected by the culture. We are affected by the culture that we are living in. All philosophy says that death renders life meaningless. Hebrews chapter 2, this is what it says. Some of these words are very important in Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood. All right, you just got to, I have to stop and recognize that here. Again, we're not disembodied spirits in the heaven that Christ is talking about. And the salvation that Christ is talking about, you have an identity, you have an individuality about you, you have a personality, and you have a body. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear, by the fear of death. All philosophy comes down to salvation. All philosophy comes down to the fear of death. What are you going to do about death? If this is true, if this is true, and there's other verses just like it, that means what? That means that we have immense hope. That means that you have immense hope for the one issue that we can't solve. We have immense hope. We cannot live without hope. We have to have hope. What we believe, again, directly impacts our experience right here, right now. So I went to this school, many of you know this, and when I was in middle school, well, right, right before I started middle school here, I really got into snow skiing. I just loved it. I mean, I went one time, my parents took me, they took me to this place called Wintergreen, which is near UVA, and we went there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is fantastic, I love it, I was just addicted to snow skiing, I wanted to go all the time, and so uh, my parents signed me up for a thing, a program that Arlington County had, and they would go like every, it was every Saturday night, they'd go night skiing up at Ski Liberty, and when I knew it was the Saturday coming up for us to go skiing, man, you couldn't get me down. I was just so excited because I loved it so much. I was so pumped up. So my experience all week was just incredibly upbeat and very, very hopeful because of what? Because of the future and where I knew I was going to. If you take two people, everybody, and you give them identical jobs, 
You give two people identical jobs. They're doing the exact same thing. It's just mundane. Whether it's digging ditches or building widgets. And they're in the exact same environment and doing the exact same thing, right? And they do that for 10 hours a day. And after a couple of weeks, you get those two people together and you ask, hey, how, how was your experience? If one of those persons, right, when you hired them, if you told them, you know what, we're going to pay you $2,000 a month for doing this job, and you said to the other person, we're going to pay you $2 million a month for doing that job, what do you think they will say about their experiences doing that job? The one person can say, it's terrible work, it's boring, I don't really look forward, I hate getting up every morning, right? It's just, and the other person's going to say, oh my gosh, this is the greatest job in the world. I love it. I can't wait to come here. It is so great. I'm making $2 million a month. Because what we believe about our future, we are a hope-based people. What we believe about our future directly impacts the day. So the question is, what do you believe about your future? What do you really believe about your future? And are you excited about it? Okay. I want to start off by talking about, because it's become so, so popular in the media and so popular in institutions, educational institutions, I want to talk a little bit about secular humanism and about atheism, and I want to say this right up front, everybody, because sometimes it is said, well, okay, well, you religious people, you live by faith, and us people over here are secular humanists who are atheists, we live by reason. We live by what we can see. We don't live by faith. You over here by faith, we live by intellect, rationale, and reason. And that is just not true. Every single person is living by faith on this planet, period, straight up. We're all living by faith because you cannot prove demonstrably that God exists and you cannot prove demonstrably that God does not exist. Ask somebody to prove it to you that God does not exist. They cannot do it. And so we fill that gap in. We fill that very gap in by faith. You take somebody like Richard Dawkins. And he'll, he'll say in debates, and you'll hear him say this, and you'll hear other people who are atheists that will say this. They'll say, when they get to stuff about science, science is real, science is something we can see, science is something we know, and then you'll ask a question, well, what about this, or how did this work? It's like, well, we don't know that yet. But if you'll just be patient, can you please be patient? Science is eventually going to answer that question. Now, do you know for a fact that science is going to answer that question? No, you do not. You do not know. And so what is Dawkins saying? He says, I have what in science? I'm putting faith. I mean, this is simple. I'm not, I'm not being rude, okay? I'm being very respectful. We are all living by faith. You don't know it. So Dawkins says, I don't have any faith. But by the way, I have a lot of faith in science. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm filling that gap of not understanding right now in something that I don't choose to call faith, Dawkins would say, but what it is it? I'm putting my trust. Now, I, I love science. I think science is awesome. I think God created science. I think God created the universe. I just choose to put my trust in God first who gave us science. Love science. I think it is absolutely awesome. The other thing that people say is, I believe in what I see. And religious people, they don't, they don't believe in what they see. They believe in something that is just out there. They just, you know, they just believe. Can you see the law of gravity? You can't see the law of gravity. You can see the effects of the law of gravity. I heard one guy say, you know what? What would it take for you as an atheist to believe in God? Well, God would need to write in the sky right now. Like right now, I am God, I am here. I would need to see that. And unless I see that, I'm not going to believe in God. Okay. I only believe in what I see. You can't see the law of gravity, but I bet you believe in it. Everybody in this room, everybody watching on Grace Live believes in the law of gravity because if you don't believe in the law of gravity, you no longer hear you're dead. Correct? 
right? Because you're going to fall off something, you're going to kill yourself. But we can't see it. We see its effects. We see its effects. And that's the same thing the Bible says. That's Paul's argument in the letter to the Romans. You look at creation. Where did it come from? It's so intricate. It's so well designed. And what an atheist would say very, very brilliant people. Einstein, very brilliant, right? What he would say is, is everything should be random. And what troubled Einstein so much is this universe is not random. It should be random if there is not a God, and yet the universe has so much. It's so fine-tuned. I, I want you to think about and weigh these ideas and compare them with each other and think about where you should have hope and what you should be, what you should be believing in, Right? If I've come from nowhere and I'm going nowhere, everybody pretty much admits this. We try to do some gymnastics you know, with our language and try to get around this. But people, even atheists, atheists has really criticized Dawkins' book because it's bad thinking in his book, The God Delusion, which is so famous. And I just bring up Dawkins because he's probably the most famous atheist that we have going today along with Sam Harris, right? But the thinking is not well thought out. If you believe that, that you have come from nowhere and you're going nowhere, it is really difficult to drum up hope. It is also extremely difficult, everybody... To say that there's morality or there's equality amongst people. These are very difficult things to do unless you have a God of some sort that is out there. Now, our culture has been really affected, particularly our educational institutions, by this idea. And it seems like there's, there's more atheists in the world than what there really are. And I said just for a moment, God has planted eternity in our hearts and Ben Darius went on the street. We can't find anybody who doesn't believe in heaven. But it seems like there's a lot more. And we are being infe- affected by that culture particularly on our educational campus. You think about this. Think about this. Our depression rates amongst our young people, amongst our youth in high school and in college, our suicide rates are exploding. Now, we're trying to figure out why that's happening, but Robert Putnam, who is a Harvard professor, he's famous for writing the book Bowling Alone, he said, he looked at all the data, he says, I don't know what's going on here, but it has to have something to do with hope. Well, if we are communicating to kids that there is nothing out there and you're of no significance and your life doesn't have any meaning, it's really difficult to have hope. There's a popular show on um, TV. I don't know if it's still a hit. I actually never have watched it. I just read this quote uh, called House. Has anybody seen the TV show House, right? Okay. It's about this doctor. And in this particular scene where he's going to make this statement, I'm getting ready to read to you. It's very, I could have found a million quotes like this to, to substantiate this, but I'll just give you one because I have too many quotes in this message already. Uh, he's, he's, somebody has finagled their way into an, to like this experiment thing that he's doing. And so he's, he's speaking to them just about their life and their meaning and who they are and what they've done. And this is what he says. And ready, ready for this? He says, you're just a bag of cells and waste with an expiration date. And what you're realizing is that everything you're doing that you think is so important doesn't mean anything. Now, everybody, I, I, I know there are some people who are trying to, to, to say, you know, there is meaning. You don't have to have a God to have meaning. But there are a lot of philosophers who are very true to their thinking Everybody, look, I have read so much on this subject broadly, 
It is very difficult to come up with a life of meaning or morals or hope if there is not a God. Death renders all life meaningless, and there is no morality. John, are you saying that an atheist can't be a good person? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I said this last week. Somebody once asked Mark Twain, do you believe in infant baptism? He said, believe in it. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I have seen people who are secular humanists who are better than me, more loving than me, better people than me. I've seen, that's not what I'm saying. All of us should be good people. Every single one of you needs to be a good person, particularly when you're interacting with me, right? All of us should be good people. But when there's not a God, there's never an ought. There's only an opinion that you should. There can't be an ought. Nietzsche was so good about this because he was so blunt. But other atheist philosophers will tell you the same thing. If you are an atheist and you say, I believe in universal human rights, I believe in morality, I believe in right and wrong, I believe that racism and being prejudiced is wrong, you are actually not an atheist and you need, Nietzsche would say this, you need to stop borrowing from Christianity because Christianity is what has introduced these magnificent ideas to our world. What is consistent in your belief system? What do you believe about heaven? We can't live without hope. All right. Andrew Del Banco wrote a really good book called The American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. And I'm almost done with this. This is as far as I made it, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have communion. But we're going to finish this next week. So if you're looking on your bulletin, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's all this other stuff. It's okay. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep going. Now, I want you to just think about this quote, everybody. This is what he says. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days and hours if we're to keep at bay the dim back-of-the-mind suspicion that one may be adrift in an absurd world, the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and our spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. There is a uh, list of books. It's the bottom of your bulletin. And if you're on Grace Live, you can see it on the screen. That's just a short list of some of the books I read. One of the, one of the books that's there is by this atheist French philosophy professor. It's called A Brief History of Thought. I want to highly, highly, highly recommend that book if you really want to think deeply, particularly the chapters where he talks about the Greek miracle and then the chapter where he talks about Christianity. Because what this professor has made so clear, and I will, I will complete the thought next week, what is made so clear is this salvation that Jesus Christ is talking to us about, presenting to us, this hope that we have of heaven is unique to the entire planet. What we're talking about is there is something far, far better than life after death. If all there was, everybody, was life after death, that is boring, and that is not what you're looking forward to. What you're really looking forward to is love after death. What you're really looking forward to is what the Bible says, that one day, one day, we will be resurrected. And those people that we love here on earth, that those relationships don't have to end. And where Stoicism and Buddhism says, be careful, don't attach yourself too closely to the things, to the things and the people, the people of this world. It says, go ahead, Christianity says, go ahead and attach yourself and pour yourself into those loving relationships that make your life meaningful and significant because there's not just life after death, there's love after death. And this morning we're going to have communion. I want you to think about this as we celebrate communion. 
Jesus gave us something tangible, physical, food and drink. Food and drink. Because it's not just your spirit that's going to live. It's going to be your identity, your personal identity. You are going to live again with all of your memories and with all those loving relationships. It's absolutely awesome. And what communion stands for is you, think about this, are going to get the life that you always hoped to have. That's the reality of heaven that Christ talks about. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for this unique salvation that you present before us for us to consider. Help us to simply pour ourselves into what you are talking to us about over these next couple weeks. And may we become people of hope, filled with so much hope, like we've never had before. In Christ's name, amen.